Mean Old Lion Media presents Corner Table Talk. Welcome to Corner Table Talk. I'm your host, Brad Johnson. Here we are exploring subjects related to food plus drink plus culture. As always, with questions or comments about our show, you can reach me at brad at postandbeamhospitality.com. So the experience of taking in a tight live musical performance can stay with you for hours, days, years, and in some cases, a lifetime. Yes, setting, venue, and what you were doing at that time of your life factor into the equation. On this show, we've asked guests to recall the most memorable live musical performances they've seen. And usually there's a story that leads up to the memory. One of my earliest responsibilities and probably the most fun job I've ever had was booking the artist that would appear and perform at my dad's restaurant, bar, and live music venue, The Cellar, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan through the 1970s and 80s. Those of you who have listened to this show in the past have certainly heard me talk about The Cellar once or twice. The bands, almost exclusively R&B, would play three sets per night between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Often seven or eight musicians with multiple vocalists would squeeze onto a stage and proceed to turn out the house. And it was a bit of a small stage, but uh, it was it was fun watching uh, watching everybody so close together and uh, do such uh, magical things up there. It was on one of these nights, my guest today, Melissa Morgan, electrified the room with her sultry yet powerful voice. The kind of voice that can give you chills, as it did me on many occasions. At a certain point during one particular number, the keyboardist, Lisette Wilson, who would go on to co-write and co-produce several of Melissa's hits, jumped in on keyboards and would take the music to a whole different level. If you've ever been in a room when music just hits that next level, there's nothing that that quite meshes up to that that live musical performance when the chills kind of run up and down your spine. So Melissa went on to have a very successful music career, scoring a number one hit in Billboard with the single Do Me Baby, which was written by Prince and Andre Simone. She followed up with Do You Still Love Me and Fool's Paradise. I love that song, as well as one of my favorites, a duet with Kashif a cover of Love Changes, in all two top 20 albums and four top five hits. A talented songwriter, Melissa has received recognition for her work on other artists' records, including Freddie Jackson, Mary J. Blige, Jay-Z, and LL Cool J. Melissa performed as a background vocalist on Whitney Houston's debut album, Whitney, and on tour with her childhood idol, and I'm talking posters all over her walls, Shaka Khan. Most recently, Melissa turned to the big screen, appearing in the independent film Footprints of an Angel. I am so pleased to welcome my longtime friend, Queens, New York native, Melissa Morgan. Melissa. Hi, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so nice to have you. So nice to see you. Well, I didn't know you know all those things about me. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I do a little work. So, Melissa, before we get started, I do want to wish well your dear friend, uh, New York native, um, the songstress Allison Williams, who I know has had some health challenges. So I just wanted to send some good energy out to Allison and uh, say hello to, to her from us. Oh, thank you so much. I spoke to her a couple of days ago, and she's um, off the ventilator. 
and she's doing well. Her voice is a little raspy. So and the first thing she asked me about, believe it or not, was my kitty cat uh, spirit. <laughs> she's like, I didn't know you was a cat person all these years. So she's doing well. She's in Winston-Salem healing. And yes, we continually send prayers to her to get better. Oh, yes. that's great to hear. I'm, I'm glad to hear she's on the mend. So cool. So we'll move on. So we start things off with what I call short order questions, just some easy things to get us rolling. So Melissa, tell me what is in heavy rotation on your playlist? What music has your attention these days? Oh, wow. That is a good question. Um, Adele. For some reason, I like Adele. Um, uh, let's see who else have we been listening to? Uh Gosh, that is a good question. I've got to think about that. I know Adele and uh, just anything that's on like Heart and Soul, that's what we listen to. We listen to serious music, you know, a lot because I travel uh, coming back from New York to South Carolina. So um, that's what we listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I love that that serious station too, the, the Heart yeah. and Soul. Yep. Play all the oldies. Yeah. Yep. All right. Tell me, what what's your morning routine look like? Well, um, I have to get up because I have to feed the cat. <laughs> so I get up. Um, when the pandemic hit, unfortunately, something wasn't feeling right. So I went to the doctor and uh, she told me I had a little high blood pressure. But I think it was from uh, the pandemic. And I was staying in New York and I had to come to South Carolina to live here during the pandemic because it was safer. And um, so they put me on like a little, that little pill. So I take that in the morning at 8.30 every morning. So I wake up, take that, feed the cat. <laughs> Are you a coffee person? Tea? What, smoothie? Green juice? What? No, no, no. I, I like um, uh, apple cider vinegar. I take a teaspoon of that and a teaspoon of black seed oil. And uh, now I'm, I'm proud to say my uh, blood pressure is now 125 over 80. So I'm doing much better. And uh, that's what I do. Sometimes I eat some Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerios. Okay. I would have not guessed that. I, I, I saw you more as a Frosted Flakes girl, but okay. I, I hate it. Frosted Flakes. Oh my God. Raisin brands. I love Raisin brands and Cheerios. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. Um, so while we're on the subject, so tell me your favorite weekend breakfast. So if you're going to indulge in something, what, what might that be? There is a place called Another Broken Egg. I don't know if you've heard of that place. It's, it's a, a wonderful breakfast restaurant and they have a lobster uh, cheese grits. Mm. And that's like my favorite. So uh, a nice uh, weekend breakfast would be us going to Another Broken Egg Lobster cheese grits. Oof, that sounds so good. Where is another broken egg? Where is that? Uh, Columbia, South Carolina, Atlanta, mostly like on, on the, the south, but uh, they have many restaurants. Just look it up. Another broken egg. It is really excellent for breakfast. Oh, you got me with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So best live musical performance you've ever seen. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'd have to go back to when I was uh, a teenager and I went to see Earth, Wind & Fire. Yeah, I'd have to go back to that at Madison Square Garden. 
I saw like Earth, Wind and Fire, James Brown. One time I saw Sly and the Family Stone. So I'd have to go back to those shows because they were more, um, uh, they cared more about the presentation. Yeah, the presentation now is, is not as grand. Mm-hmm. So I go back to the to the old school days. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing Earth, Wind and Fire at Madison Square Garden and between their musicianship, their vocals, the theatrics, the set, I yeah. mean, you, it's hard to top that. It's so hard to top that. I, I mean, and now, I mean, you can't, I don't know, the groups now can't come out in those flashy outfits, <laughs> colorful with, you know, sequences and stuff. People would laugh at them right now. Yeah. <laughs> What are you doing? You know, so uh, yeah, because now it's like jeans and and you know designer top or you know Versace or or Louis Vuitton or something. It's just not the same. Right, yeah. right. You know what it makes me think of too, and and this takes me to the cellar. But you know how bands like Earth, Wind, and Fire, you knew every word to every song, and if they missed a word or they, you'd be looking well that's not that wasn't right in that song that's not that's not how that song goes you know it, it's so funny because i mean that's how i am like like when i perform you have to sing it the way the record is or they look at you like oh well where did that come from why why is she you know over exaggerating that and living on that you know so it's Really, the attention span now is so much shorter than it was before. You could expand and, you know, sing along and stuff. Now, if you change anything, they're like, well, why did you do that? They're on it. <laughs> they're on it. Yeah. So tell me on that note, what uh, what is your most memorable on stage moment of your own? Believe it or not, Brad, I'm, I'm going to go back to the cellar. Do you remember, God, when Patti LaBelle came and sang with me at the cellar? I do. Do you remember uh-huh. that? Yeah. yeah. Her uh, uh, hairstylist, Norma, that's what's her name. Okay. Yes. And she used to come to the cellar and hear me sing. And she said, you know, when my birthday comes, I'm going to bring Patty here. We were like, oh, go ahead, girl. <laughs> uh, we, we're not paying you no mind. Patty is not coming here. And on her birthday, she brought Patty there. And we got up. Uh, Patty came off the stage and we sang If Only You Knew. I still have pictures of that. I get chills when I think about that. And me and Patty are still friends to this day, Auntie Patty. And I went on tour with her about two years ago in Europe. Yes. Oh, wow. I'd love to see those photos. Yes. Oh, I have them. I'll send Yeah, please do. Please do. You know, I had uh, Valerie Simpson on the show not too long ago, and she talked about how her and Nick used to love to come up to the cellar to hear you sing. Oh, You had singers that loved to hear you sing. Valerie. I love her. And I miss Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Nick was so wonderful. I remember one time I went to uh, the Sugar Bar, uh, which reminds me of the cellar. Mm -hmm. It does. I went to the sugar bar and uh, we had did something and I had had uh, surgery or something. I had a tooth pulled or, or a root canal or something. And I got to the cellar and um, uh, Nick was there and he says, Melissa, come on up and sing. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> he said, yeah, well, I understand you have the root canal, but that doesn't have anything to do with your voice. <laughs> <laughs> no mercy from Nick Ashford. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Um, all right. So complete this sentence for me. I have little patience for. Lies. Mm. Yeah. 
I, I, I don't like people that lie. You know, that's that's a part of the ignorance that I just didn't grow up with. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, All right. So last one of these, and hopefully this doesn't uh, tax your, your brain too much or, or ruin any friendships. But if you had to think of a, a little band of anyone that you wanted, four, five, six people, three people, two people, somebody else on stage to share the stage with you, who, who might that be, Melissa? If you could pick anybody in the world, who or past or present, who, who might join you on stage? Uh, Marvin Gaye, uh, Clifford. Uh, do you remember Clifford? He used to sing background at the cellar. I do. Away. And he actually, it was only me and him that sang background on uh, Do Me Baby in the studio with uh, 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 Paul Lawrence. So uh, Clifford, because he was just such a great singer. Um, uh, I, I'm going to talk about just singers. Mm -hmm. yeah, I miss Johnny. Timmy Allen on bass. Yes. Oh, gosh. And uh, who else? Ooh, that's hard. A guitar player. I want to think. Well, Lisette Wilson, of Lissette course. Lisette on keys. Yes, on keys. And um, Maybe Kevin yeah. Robinson, Mike Campbell. Yes, Kevin. Oh, my God. Mike Campbell. Both of them. Both of them on guitar, yeah. And um, on saxophone, Najee. Najee. Yeah. Yes. How about a drummer? Uh, Pooty Bell. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Love him. Well, that that, that band would, would continue to uh, to rock the house. So let's jump in here, Melissa. You look fantastic. How you doing? I'm doing good. You know, uh, take care of myself. I don't eat meat. I haven't eaten meat in years. Um, don't drink. Uh, stopped drinking years ago. I partied when I was young, so I'm over that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, doing well. Uh, I'm at my house here in South Carolina. I still have my place in uh, New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are uh, building a house down here, my dream home. So uh, doing well. So tell me yeah. tell me a little bit about South Carolina. How did you end up there? And, and where are you? Did you say you're in Columbia or where? I'm actually in Aiken, South Carolina, and I came to Aiken, South Carolina because my uh, grandmother, my father's parents, uh, they lived here. You know, they were in Graniteville and all that, and they moved actually to this house that I'm in. And I used to come here every summer uh, when I was a little girl until I was 18, about 17, 18. And uh, I would spend it with my grandmother, Mama Ciola. And when she passed away and my dad passed away, they left the house to me and I renovated the whole thing. And I just thought I would just come down here and just enjoy South Carolina in the summer. Who knew a pandemic was going to come and I would wind up living here and saying, thank God I have this house right. safe and away from New York. And I had a backyard where we could breathe and all that good stuff. So that yeah. sounds nice. So do you think you're going to continue to spend extended time there? Just bounce back and forth between New York or what do you think? Well, well I, I'm going to tell you, I've never given up my place in New York because I'm going to tell you a little thing. I paid $29,000 for that place and I'll never find another place for that price. <laughs> in America, Not much less New York. <laughs> Not in New York. So I Never given that place. It's just a one bedroom, uh, beautiful uh, condo that uh, is in Queens, and I'm never giving that up. So uh, nice view of the uh, the airport, LaGuardia, and I'm like five minutes from LaGuardia, and 
15 minutes from JFK. So you couldn't ask for anything better if I have to fly out anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think I will be staying in South Carolina more. We're talking, I also have a place in Aruba. I know. I want to, I want to ask you about that too. <laughs> but uh, I will definitely uh, stay in South Carolina and I'm going to probably build my dream home here. Yeah. yeah. I'm good at real estate. I don't know where I got it from, but the place where I'm going to build my dream home, it, it's like a, a community it's called Summer Lakes. And uh, I don't know. I just like this place. And I went in and I got it for like $12,000. And now you can't even get in there for less than a half a million. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I, so I, I've got to build on it. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> Melissa Morgan, the, the real estate impresario. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the people that I know that have lived in New York and LA, the two cities that I've lived in are, are looking for those kind of experiences in the South. Folks have moved to just outside of Atlanta or different Nashville, different places around the South and are enjoying that kind of different lifestyle there and a little bit more space. Yes. And, and, and Aiken, where I am, uh, I think there's 35,000 people here. But the great thing about Aiken is that I'm 20 minutes from Augusta, 40 minutes from Columbia, two hours from Atlanta, two hours from Charlotte, two hours and a half from Myrtle Beach. So I'm centrally located. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. I yeah. love that. So yeah. Aruba, I, I saw that you have a place there. So how did you discover Aruba? And uh, besides the, the sea, sun, sand, and warm weather, what, what was it about Aruba that uh, said, this is, I want a place here? I have a cousin. He lives in Washington, D.C. And he had went to Aruba and he fell in love with it and he bought something there. And he said, Melissa, you and do you remember my girlfriend, Darlene? Of course. Yeah. Me and Darlene went to Aruba, you know, to, you know, hang out with James and we fell in love with it. So me and Darlene actually bought there because we've been BFF since single digits, you know, <laughs> both come from 34th Avenue. They call us the girls from 34th Avenue. <laughs> so, so I could trust her, you know, with my life. So we bought there over 20 years ago. Mm. Can you believe that? And I've been going there so long. They've, they've given me honorary citizenship. <laughs> And um, I just love going there. I couldn't go in 2020 because of the pandemic. And that's probably like one of the only years I didn't go. Mm-hmm. But recently went in December and uh, I just love it. So if I if I had, um, I don't know, a million dollars this year, I'd probably get me a better place there and, and live there for like four months out of the year. Mm-hmm. Are you a water person, Melissa? Do you love the Caribbean? I do. I do. I love the water and I love Eagle Beach because it's healing. It's healing. For some reason, that beach is healing. Anything that's going on with you, I tell you, anything on your skin or stuff, you go in that water, you come out and it's gone. Yeah. So it's it's, it's more than just a vacation. It's healing. It's healing. Yeah. 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 So I, I also know that you have a special guy in your life, your fiance, Sebastian. So I'd like to know, as would, you know, many other men in, in America and beyond, what does a guy have to do to be lucky enough to land Melissa Morgan? That is so weird because everybody asks me, that, like, like, what did he have? He had commitment. He had commitment. He, you know, he, he wasn't he, he wasn't in the industry. 
but he believed, he, you know, and he was like, whatever you're doing that, that I can help, you know, I'll do it. And uh, he's just been excellent as a friend, you know, as, as my companion. And he's really good with computers. He's helped me really um, jumpstart my own production company that my new song and everything is coming out on. And those are things that uh, I don't think that I would have done without uh, help, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he, he drives <laughs> the house so I can sleep. <laughs> uh, he travels with me, and he just makes sure everything is good, not only personally in my life, but business-wise, uh, you know. And and do we argue and fuss and fight? Of sure, mm-hmm. you. Can- have a relationship without a little bit of an argument, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, we get over that. The fact that we can get over it and still look at each other and say, you know, I appreciate you being here and I love you. That's important to me. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm very happy to hear that you have somebody in your life that's that supportive. Because I know he has a good partner in, in you. So let's take a step back here. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the period that we spoke of in the introduction, New York City in the 80s and the cellar. I saw some of the best live musical performances of my life in that intimate room. I mean, we're talking about a place that really couldn't hold more than a couple hundred people. And that was wall to wall, you know, with no space to, you know, do much else in three sets a night, three times per week. And and playing that regularly, Melissa. What my I observed that the 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 shows that the um the sets just got tighter and tighter and tighter. It was just practice to me. I mean, it, would, did it have that impact on you? And and does it does it play into your live musical performance these days? I mean, having had that kind of training coming up, because I look at musicians these days and I see them mostly in the studio, not a lot of live performance, very few musicians on a stage. And it was just different back then. You you played with musicians and you sang and you performed. Was that kind of every night rigor good for you? Yes. Actually, for me, it was because um, it became my school. It became my school of performing. And um, I say that because when you're in that kind of situation with that caliber of artists, for that long, like you said, three sets a night, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you start learning not only about the person, but you start learning about the music. If if you're smart enough, you start listening to what the guitar player does. You start listening to what the keyboard player is playing. You start knowing, okay, this note doesn't go with that note. Okay, if I do it this way, that's going to get the audience. If I do it this way, that's going to make them bored. You know what I'm saying? So. You start learning how to be the best that you can be. And that only happens through experience and practice. So now, as as uh, the uh, celebrity professional, you know, uh, recording on Oh, Sebastian, they talked about you. <laughs> Sebastian, shout out. What's up? <laughs> He's walking through. But um, now when I go in and I have rehearsals with new bands and new musicians, and stuff like that. Um, that that teaching and going to Juilliard School of Music, learning theory, you know, music theory. I can actually sing guitar parts. I don't play drums, but you know, I can actually voice drums, and I know everything that each musician should play to make the show or the song better. 
you know. Um, I know all my notes. I can hear when it's bad. I can hear when it's good. And a lot of people don't have that now. Yeah. And you would you would attribute that ear, that training to the repetition of sets, you know, so many sets in a week. I mean, that's, you know, hundreds of hours of music that you're performing live on stage. So you, you trace that back to that period? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It, like I said, it was my experience. It was, it was my school, my school mm-hmm. for performing arts. I didn't go to high school. That, but I went to the cell. <laughs> let, me, let me set that up for our audience who who never you know happened to go to the cellar. So the the stage at the cellar was about uh, four feet, we'll say, from the bar. And Johnny Kemp, in fact, it was Johnny who first told me about about you would leap from the stage to this long forty foot L shaped bar that we had with that would be packed with cigarettes and ashtrays and brandy snifters and purses and what have you there were no cell phones in those days so there weren't any cell phones on the bar but believe me there was plenty to walk around and he would tiptoe and ballet and dance and skip with a with a microphone and sing and my father would be looking at him with the with a scowl and just if he knocks one of those champagne glasses over he's gonna pay for it kind of look but amazingly he never did melissa Never did, and it it was just amazing the the showmanship. That's what it's called, the showmanship that he had. I I just appreciate that. And I would watch him and Jimmy and just how they would pull the audience in, and that was one of the lessons that I learned in the cellar. Even if people are far away from you, it is your job to pull them in to what you're doing and what you're thinking. And um, that that was just a great lesson that that I I still have till today. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, use a little bit of a, a sports analogy, but tied into uh, to music. You know, watching you guys back then, and I'm talking about Keith Sweat, Allison Williams, Timmy Allen, Kevin Robinson, Platinum Hook, Bobby Douglas. You know, there were, there were some just amazing, amazing talented performers on that stage, but you guys had not yet been really truly discovered. I know that you had a single come out when you were 16, but for the most part, to me, it was like watching college basketball players play with all their heart and they compete so hard. They haven't gotten that money yet at the professional level. They don't have a shoe deal, at least not back then they didn't. But there's just a level of like going for it that you had. And that was what I got from you guys back then to see all of you up on stage that not whose names were not nationally known and internationally known, just kind of discovering your talent and feeling your way around it. That to me was like, man, I get chills as I'm thinking about it now and talking about it. Yeah. You, we want, we wanted to do our best. And, and, and we thought, we thought like, if we do this in the next level, we can't go nowhere, but up now, listen, I remember the time when you fired me. Do you remember when you fired tell, me? Well, I'll let you tell it. I might have well, a different version of that, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I wanted to do, I was with Johnny Kemp and, and Timmy and all of them. And, you know, I just felt like Melissa Morgan should have her own band in Lissette. We just we have our own band and we'll do it. And I said, Lissette, we have really got to rehearse and we've got to get this band together and we've got to do this because we're going to have three shows a night. And I'm going to talk to you about the three shows a night too. we got three shows a night and we've got to do this right. And Lissette, you know, we had come from, I think we, 
working with Shaka Khan, you know, and we had come off of Shaka Khan. We was flying high. She said, oh, I got this. We're just going to do this. And we just put the musicians together and said, this is the song. And I said, Lissette, we got to rehearse. You know, it's not going to be right. And honey, we got up on that stage on that Thursday. And on that Friday, we was just horrible. Because nobody had really rehearsed. Lissette hadn't rehearsed. We knew the songs, but we didn't gel as a band. And Brad fired us. Rightfully so. He fired us. And and I tell you, I was in tears. I was like, I ain't never been fired before. You know, not like that. And um, Lissette said, you know what? I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to make it up to you. We're going to go. and We're going to rehearse. We're going to rehearse. We're going to rehearse. And then we're going to invite him to a rehearsal. And he's going to hire you again. And I said, he's not going to hire. He's not even going to come to the rehearsal. And sure enough, we rehearsed. We got a rehearsal studio and we rehearsed and rehearsed. And we invited you to the studio. And you said, you better be good, Melissa. You better be good because this is not like you. Not like you. And you came to the rehearsal studio and we blew you away. <laughs> that, that is exactly how I remember it. Yeah. And you know what, what that changed for me too, Melissa, was I then made a policy that any time I was going to hire a band, I had to see them rehearse first. And uh, yeah, because up until that time, I, I think I would, I would, they would send me a tape and, you know, I might go see them play somewhere else. But I would, I would ask to go to a, to go to a rehearsal. And I first saw Keith Sweat that way. He was uh, in in the basement of his, you know, I think it was his mom's place up in up in Harlem, you know. Oh wow! Yeah. So I'm glad I implemented that with you. And you know what? I went on tour. That was one of my first tours. Freddie Jackson uh, uh, with Levert. I mean, this was after Do Me Baby, and then my next tour was with uh, Keith Sweat. Yeah, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you know, we've mentioned some of the people that um, you know that that would come into the room as an as an audience. Sometimes they would jump up on the stage, but um, folks like Ashford and Simpson, Phyllis Hyman, the Osley Brothers, Stevie Wonder, the radio executives, Vaughn Harper, Jerry Bledsoe from our favorite station WBLS, and all yeah. of our friends, regulars. You know, I mean, it was that kind of a community community vibe. Did you feel at the time, Melissa, that that step was necessary to, to secure a record deal, that the exposure at a live music venue place like The Cellar, were you thinking at the time, this is what I need to do to get a record deal? Or was there some other motivation to, to perform like that live? Well, well, to me, it was the experience at first, you know, and everybody's, oh, you should play The Cellar. Because uh, I, I, I just want to say there was Mikkel's, I remember there was Under the Stairs. Mm -hmm. And I performed at McKell's a couple of times. It, it was different for me because I just felt like McKell's was more jazz. Uh, and it, it just wasn't my setting. And and uh, when people, you ought to go to the cellar across the street. <laughs> it's like, across the street? What's happening across the street? And, and uh, I, I think uh, Trevor Gale uh, uh, took me there. Uh, he was a famous drummer that played behind a whole bunch of, of artists. And he, he brought me to the cell, and uh, that's when I saw Johnny Kipp and all of them. And I really, really enjoyed the atmosphere. And I was like, oh, they're, they're, they're not going to hire anyone. And for some reason, I don't know, Timmy knew me, and, and he told Johnny Kemp that he should have a female, you know? And and uh, they called me, and, and that's how that happened. But 
I always felt like when I saw the Isley brothers there or like when Patty came or, or, or somebody like that, I think Shaka came one time, Vesta came. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that these people would catapult you to, to the next level. It was because of Vesta coming to the cellar that I got to sing behind Shaka Khan. So that took my, my career to another level. Then after singing with Shaka Khan, then the Kashif came and, you know, in uh, Melba and and Hush Productions and all that. So it was a place that 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 if you stay true to the game, could mm. you could move up in levels in your career? Yeah, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So let's let's talk about Do Me Baby because I I listened to uh, I watched your unsung and I didn't uh, you know I I never knew your dad. And I know that uh, he had a very important role in your life. You and your dad were really, really close. He was very supportive of you and your career. And when the opportunity to perform Do Me Baby was presented to you, you had some resistance to it at first. So, so talk about that a little bit. Why, what, what were you, you were concerned about your dad and his reaction as a, you know, you as a female kind of being the aggressor. Now we're talking about 1980, what, eight? Seven eighty eighty six six eighty six. 86 so music was a little different then but tell me tell, tell us a little bit about what how you were concerned how your dad would feel about you singing do me baby i i come from uh, uh gospel singing you know my father heard me sing gospel and hear, heard me sing cover songs you know at at shows but uh when when do me baby came uh he had knew a little bit about prince and he just you know he didn't. He didn't want me to be the 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 floozy, sexy, you know, take her clothes off kind of singer. So he he he, you know, I was worried that he would think that I was going in that direction, selling my myself in in and not leaning on my beliefs in order to be famous. Mm-hmm. And so that was really important. So when I went to talk to him, I told him about Doomy Baby because, you know, back then, you know, the Patti LaBelle's and the Shankas and stuff wasn't singing Doomy Baby. It, it wasn't like Party B type of uh, uh, era. <laughs> so uh, I went to him, I told him, I said, they want me to sing this song and it's, it's called Doomy Baby. And, you know, what do you think? And, you know, he was like, I, I let him listen to the song. And um, he says, well, well, baby girl, here, here's my first question to you. Can you sing the song? And I said, oh, well, yeah, I can sing the song that, you know, he said, you can sing the song and, and, and do the song justice. I said, yeah, I can sing the song. He said, well, then go in there and sing the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Because I think he trusted that I wouldn't lose my morals with singing a song like that, you know, and, and that made me feel really good. And, that's what we did. Me and Clifford went in and with Paul Lawrence and, and we sang Doobie, baby. Paul yeah. Lawrence, a great producer. Yeah, that, that was just a, a yeah. great record. But, you know, you touched on something that was going to bring up my next question. And that is, you know, when you look today, Melissa, at the, the landscape of female artists and not, you know, not to put anything, anyone down, obviously times change. And, you know, we're, we're both a little bit older now and you tend to look at what comes after you is, you know, not quite the way we did it when you know whenever that was but right. when you take a song like wop you know and, and some of the the antics of of performers on stage these days particularly females in light of what you just described about your hesitation with do me baby you know back in the 80s um it, it's 
obviously become very provocative now, but what's your yeah. feeling about that? Where do we go from here? Is it too much? Does it take away from the art when, when you put all of that in it? Or is that just me being old? Um, here's my thing. I, I, I'm with you on where, where do you go? Because, you know, uh, as much as you want it to be concentrating on the music, the, 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 the image now is everything because the kids nowadays have such short tension span with internet, with phones, with uh, Hulu and, and just everything, you know, quickly being presented to, I mean, even, even movies now, uh, uh, nobody even wants to go to the movie theater. It's like, oh, I'm not even gonna go to the movie theater because it's gonna be out next week on Netflix. So uh, it does bother me because it seems like after the high of, of, of showing everything, they really have nowhere else to go. And I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. And um, it, you just have that audience that you have and, and nothing else. Now, if you have a huge audience, then good for you. Millions and millions of people will watch you and you will think that your career is 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 moving and elevating, but really it's not. It's staying in the same place. So so what happens is that they have this big hit, they have this big moment, and then they just stay right there. Mm -hmm. They don't go anywhere else, mm -hmm. you know, then they perform and they do a couple of things. And, and we have seen that with some of the artists that have even, you know, passed away that after that there was nothing. And um that that kind of scares me. I kind of I kind of I like Nicki Minaj because I I think she she went just far enough, but then she said no more. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and whereas you know some of these are, are 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 they going too far, and then like you said, there's nowhere else to go. So then they start doing some endorsements and stuff like that, and then what? Because then the music starts becoming less, you know, than than the image. Yeah. 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 No. Good answer. And, you know, it, it's also very produced, I'll say. You know, when, when someone hears Melissa Morgan, your voice is very identifiable, you know. And that's the thing that stands out. It's like, oh, that, that's Melissa Morgan. I know that immediately, you know. And, and vocalists like oh. you, Shaka or Aretha Franklin or, you know, certain vocalists, you just, you immediately identify. These days, I have a harder time. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's true. And, and, and I, I want to talk about something that's coming up. I, I know you're going to mention it, but there's a song, um, uh, Footprints of an Angel, that's coming out uh, in about a month. And uh, we went back and tried to figure out what we needed to do to uh, uh, keep R&B alive, but, but bring it up to now. And we decided to pick something that was written by Nick Asher and Valerie Simpson. And we had to go through Valerie to, uh, to, 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 get, to get it approved. It took about a year. Top silk. <laughs> right. She, she, she's not that easy. I mean, we had to go through Sony and then it was this yeah. one. And that one. Finally, I just said, you know what? Let Valerie hear it and, and let me hear what Valerie has to say. Mm -hmm. And she heard it. And she texted me back and she said, I approve the song. I love that. You know? I love that. So yeah, I can't wait till the world hears it. We do the video it, like next week. Uh, and uh, it has taken like a year and a half, almost two years to get, get it approved. But uh, we're ready to go. Can you share yeah. the title of the song? 
It's called, it's the same title as the movie that I'm starring in. It's called Footprints of an Angel because they wanted me to write the theme song mm -hmm. for the movie. And um, it's, uh, I play, I play a mother. Yeah. <laughs> I play a mother to a young lady uh, that she was out in the streets uh, doing the wrong thing. And she cleaned up her life and, and she came back to a Nana. Mm -hmm. That's me, Nana. Uh, but by the time she came back, she found out she had cancer. Oh, oh I, all right. Yeah. So uh, I'm really her footprints of an angel. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, look forward yeah. to that. And, you know, it, uh, the bringing of Valerie and her having to, um, you know, to give you rights to use her music brings up my, my next subject because Val, Nick and Val were really astute when it came to publishing rights and songwriters rights, when they were making yeah. all that great music early on with Motown and, and, and every other artist, including themselves, they owned, you know, they owned their, their publishing. And, um, initially when you, without, without getting into too much detail, cause I know this is a well-worn story, but you initially signed with Hush and I know there was some discrepancy we'll say about where money was or was not. I know Kashif said about Hush, we never knew where the money was. Um, but that was kind of like the way that music business was done. It was just, you know, when you were represented by a management company that, you know, kind of took care of everything, they, they would triple dip. I know I had that experience. I managed TLC, Norm Nixon and I, for a short period of time. We helped them break their recording contract with Arista. But they were, a, unfortunately, a very sad example of, um, a lot of hands in the pot and not a lot of money left at the end of the day for the yeah. artist. So in reflection, Melissa, what uh, you've done well since then, you know, you, you've you've been able you have real estate. You you know, you obviously have, have managed and, and done OK. But looking back on that period, what what would you say you might have done differently or what might you in how, how might you instruct a young artist these days in terms of what to look out for? Oh, uh, OK. So so let, let me tell you about Hush. Yeah. So. After, uh, who was it? Kashif, yes. I went and uh, signed with Hush. They actually signed me uh, the day after we did Broadway with Gladys Knight in the pits. Yeah, um, uh, and I was singing with Kashif and, and um, uh, Charles and Bo came up to me and said, you know, okay, you sang background with Shaka, you sang background with uh, Kashif, don't you think it's time to do your own uh, thing? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, come to the office. That was actually on Sunday. And they said, come to the office tomorrow morning. And I came to the office uh, that Monday morning and they actually signed me on the spot. Yeah, they signed me on the spot. And my first deal with them, uh, because I can break it down a little bit with you, was $10,000. Yeah, ten thousand dollars, and uh, for me that was like, okay, I'm rich. <laughs> uh, who knew? Uh, I was signed with Capital because it was a production deal. They said you're going to be, you know, on the label, Capital's label, because we have a production deal with them, and we're gonna pay for everything. Uh, go in the studio. So me and Lisette had unlimited time in the studio to record. Once the, the the record came out and it was hit, we flew everywhere. They paid for everything. It was just absolutely wonderful. Now, then it came to the publishing because we had co-wrote uh, most of the, the album. And they said, okay, so what we're going to do is sign you to, uh, you know, Hush Music, and we're going to pay you $2,000 a month for your publishing. So my deal wasn't as bad as most. 
uh, at least Lissette got 2,000 and I got 2,000 because they wanted those songs, uh, The Fool's Paradise, mm -hmm. Do You Still Love Me, the, all that. So they signed me to that and I got the 2,000. Then they also signed me to management. So let's get that. They were producing me. They had me with the record label. They had my publishing. And then they signed me to management. So they were getting 20% of that. Um, what happened, and this is what woke, woke me up, is that um, after Do Me Baby, I went on tour. I toured with uh, Freddie Jackson. I toured with LaVert. I toured with uh, Keith Sweat, as I told you, and some other, oh, Billy Ocean uh, back then. And when I came back from touring, uh, I went to the office and I said, okay, because they said, okay, we're going to take care of everything on the tour and handle everything. And then when you get back, you'll get your check. And when I came off of touring for basically the whole year, they gave me a check for $5,000. And I said, okay, where's the rest of my money? Because I've been on tour for months. You know what I'm saying? And now I want to move. I want to move to Manhattan. I want to get out of my parents' place and all this. And I had no money. So um, this is the key. Shaka Khan had introduced me to her accountant named Marvin Zoltz uh, because something had happened and uh, she wanted to dock me. And I said, well, if you're going to dock me, I want to meet the person that's going to dock me. And she actually introduced me to her accountant and said, go to him and talk to him because I don't want to talk to you about it, Melissa. And because uh, I think I was late for one show and she docked me. So I actually went to Marvin's office and talked to him. And he said, well, this is why I would dock me. I said, it's unfair, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, you know what? When you have your own record deal and you're your own artist and you're running things you come to me and if somebody is late for your show i'll dock them for you right so i went to him and he actually went to hush productions and audited them for me yeah and then all of a sudden out of nowhere thirty-five thousand dollars appeared those are like life lessons that happened to me from that point on um i got my publishing back you know, because then I didn't want to deal with them. I, I got out of the management thing with them because they were supposed to uh, make me $50,000 for the year. And because of what happened, I only got $35,000. So I fired them with that. And then I took over my own stuff. I got my own uh, publishing with uh, ASCAP. I made sure all my stuff was together, my writing and everything. And um, I started basically managing my own stuff with Marvin, my accountant. So here's my, my advice to anyone that's coming up in this industry. Be careful of signing away your moneymaker. Because your music and your writing is is one of the key things that is going to make you money all through your career. To this day, to this day, no one can use Do You Still Love Me, Fool's Paradise, anything like that without me getting paid. Good for you. Well, I'm, I'm happy that that's how that story has, has ended yeah. up for you. Um, cause we both know, you know, many stories and many instances oh. where that has not been the case and artists don't get paid for some of their biggest and most successful music. Yeah. And that, that music becomes ownership of that music becomes an annuity. In other words, something that continues yeah. to pay you dividends throughout your career, whether you're performing or not. That's right. Every month, uh, like clockwork, I get royalties from, from three different, uh, um, companies mm -hmm. 
because uh, I own my own music and my own publishing. Fantastic. Yes. So, yeah. Melissa, I want to, you know, just quickly, um, you know, I want to end certainly on a where you are now, because I, I, I look at your life, Melissa, what I know of you as a just a beautiful success story. And but we both know when you've lived enough life that and they say that, you know, it's, it's the losses that that make you smart and make you stronger. And, and I believe that's true. We all learn from that or or they take us down. Right. Either we, we learn from it and we we change what we need to change and we take the lesson and improve or, you know, it, in some cases it can take us down. Nothing has taken you down. You were without a record company for a while. Uh, you had a marriage that didn't work. Um, life just has its way. You lost your dad. You know, we, we, we go through these things in life. And yet here you are, beautiful, strong, owning the stuff that you own, getting ready to go back out on the road and perform. You've been performing. The, the pandemic, you know, obviously put a pause on that. But you've got dates lined up, a movie coming out. I mean, you, your career is just where it should be. And I just think of the word perseverance when it comes mm -hmm. to you. Does that, does that resonate for you? Does that sound right? Yeah, uh, um, it, it, it was a line that my father always used to say to me and my, my uh, stepmom, uh, the first law of nature is self-preservation. And uh, if you don't take care of yourself, then you're lost, you know what I'm saying? Because that's what you have to do. So that's that's what the giving up the drinking. Uh, uh, the, thank God. Thank God that I, I, I was never on any kind of drugs or anything like that. Uh, I've always been very strong in, in that area because I've, I've seen the ruin that it has done to so many of my friends. But um, eat, eating healthy and and um, just the stress, the stress of this injury, because um, with, with losing a, 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 a record deal, with, with uh, uh, maybe people not calling you for the things that, that, that you want, you have to do other things. You, you, you just have to look at life like, this is what I need to do, and this is God's plan. Because if it's not God's plan, then I just believe it's not in my life. So. Um, I just know that everything is 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 a building process. No matter where you are in your life, you just have to keep building, keep building, keep building, keep building. And as long as I stick to that, I'm happy. Give me a little water in a room. I'm good. <laughs> You're good. And you know, it's, it's funny because Ambassador Shabazz and I just yesterday were talking about self-preservation. And I yeah. and I just every time I think about that, those two words, I think about what they tell you when they're giving you instructions on an airplane, they tell you to put your, your, your air mask on first, you know, before yes. you start trying to save even your child, you know, you, you have to, you have to make sure that you have the air to breathe in order to help yes. somebody else. But I think that's what we're talking about here, right? You take care of yourself and you try to, you know, move away the stuff that is not necessary and not helping you in your life and move towards the things that are. Exactly. Exactly. And if you do that, you really, you, you really can't do wrong because, you know, it, it, it's about yourself and what you feel on the inside. If, if your insides ain't good, you, you, you can't, I can't get on the stage and perform and, and, and send all that energy out to, to thousands of people. If my insides is corrupt, it, it just, it's not going to happen. And I've seen people perform and you go, what the heck is going on up there? They told a story a long a, a while ago, and I couldn't believe it. 
And I just recently did a show with her in Connecticut at Foxwood where uh, Stephanie Mills, which I love her to death. And she was going through something and she they said she turned her back to the audience and performed the whole time because her ex was in the front row. I mean, just just toxic stuff inside of you. And, and look at her now. She's turned that around on the verses. She's helping someone that she sees something that's, that's not right. And I love Shaka, but we all know that that performance was not our best Shaka moment, Auntie Shaka. But you know what I'm saying? To see her give like that after what she went through, you know, that's what we strive for. You know, we strive for being the best that we can be to give to, to someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. What what would you say is your biggest challenge these days? My biggest challenge is not giving up and saying, okay, I'm done. I'm done with this. Uh, let me just move on and, and, and live my life. Sometimes I, I have to say, okay, no, I'm not done. I'm not done. Yeah, that's my biggest challenge because, you know, I do have the number one hits. I do have a, a career of performing. I do know many people in the business. I do have my publishing in order. You know what I'm saying? I do own real estate and it's like, you know, okay, do I want to get back in this game again? Like with this single, now to do a single, it, it costs so much. And now it's independent. And, you know, people are talking forty, fifty thousand dollars to to work a single. It's like, ah, <laughs> ah do I want to get back into this? I, I, I don't know. Do I just want to keep my money and just, you know, so um, it, it's not giving up. That's funny. But I get it. I mean, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, damn, Aruba, feet up, pina colada, <laughs> a lot of other things you can do here. Um, but no, no, music is your love. So um, on that note, before we wind down, tell me about what you have coming up. I saw, I think you've got a gig coming up with Marion Meadows and a, a bunch of dates coming up, some travel. I know you've got a few hobbies up your sleeve. So share, share a little bit of that with us before we let you go. Yes, uh, February 14th, uh, Bethesda, Maryland, at Bethesda uh, Jazz and, and Blues uh, Club. I'm going to be with Marion Meadows, uh, so that's wonderful. Uh, like I said, we're doing video next week for Footprints of an Angel. I'm very excited about that. The movie Footprints of an Angel, I have one more scene to shoot uh, on January 22nd. They just beefed up my character, so I'm happy about that. And that comes out, I think, the end of... Uh, uh, March, April of 2022. Uh, they just called me for something at the Apollo. So we'll see how that goes. I do this thing called uh, Fruit Six by Melissa Morgan. And um, it is like edible arrangements, but it's, you know, it's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's wonderful because now um, I'm associated with, um, it's called Deshaun's. And it's Deanna Brown's uh, husband. And her, it's their restaurant in uh, Augusta. And if you don't know who Deanna Brown is, that's James Brown's daughter. And she is one of my best friends here in uh, Augusta. So um, I go to their restaurant for like Mother's Day and Valentine's Day. And I do my uh, Fruit Six by Melissa Morgan. And that's just a wonderful thing that they have me be. Now, so, I have to write that down. What's the name of their restaurant? Deshaun's. Deshaun's. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. that's a good one. Augusta GA. Now, James Brown has talked about that enough. So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. writing that down. Yeah. It's like, it, it's considered uh, the uh, Aiken, Augusta area, and it's called Deshaun's. And they have the best crab legs and seafood. 
and everything like that. And uh, I, I would go to their house because they have a pool. <laughs> and I go swimming and Deanna would have a girl's thing. She's girl, make your, you know, chocolate dipped strawberries. And I'd make it for, you know, the girl that she loved. It. And she just said, why don't you just do something in the restaurant and do Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day. So I do that with them whenever I can. And now girlfriends are calling me saying, we have a girlfriend's night, Melissa, will you? fruit sticks so you know i do that you know just out of fun and it's that's not about the money because you know you you could be it's the money that i make as an artist compared to that is not the same but it's just the fun of of seeing smiles on people's face by eating a little fruit yeah eating a little fruit (laughs) well melissa i have to say you know that your energy through the years you know going back to the early 80s when i first met you right up to today to see your beautiful smiling face and uh, the energy that I just feel from you has always been what I feel from you today. And I, and I personally want to thank you for so many nights of, of just thrilling the room in the way that you did back, back in the day and that you continue to do. And uh, you've just, you've definitely made a memorable, left a memorable impression for me in my life. And I, and I just really wanted to thank you for that and taking the time today for joining me. Oh, same here, Brad. I mean, you know, Brad was the ladies' man. <laughs> he had all the models come. He's like, who is this model and who is that model? Are they coming to see us? No, girl, they're coming to see Brad. <laughs> they just thought I could feed them. <laughs> it was just a wonderful time in, in my life and in my career. And thank you for, you know, the, the school of the seller being my experience, you know, coming up in the industry. And I tell you now to this day, I wanted to share this to you. I will only do one show a night because of the seller. I will do two shows when it comes. No, I won't do it. Been there, done that. I did three shows a night coming up for like two or three years of my whole career. Won't do it. But uh, I enjoyed it while I was doing it. I was younger then. And uh Life was just good. And I'm so thankful for the experience of you, your family. They were always wonderful to us. You know, they treated us, you know, not like we were employees. They treated us like we were part of the family. Always, are you okay? You need anything? You know, uh, they would always make sure that the guys left the room when I had to get dressed. Get out, get out, gotta get dressed. I, I remember your mother saying that. So thank you so much for being a part of my life in that. I thank you. Oh, I appreciate that, Melissa. Thank you for that. It's yeah. great to see you. Hope to see you soon. Corner Table Talk is hosted by Brad Johnson, produced by Brad and Linda Ailes Johnson. Theme music, Life Goes On by Bryce Vine. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Corner Table Talk podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Corner Table Talk is a mean old lion media production.